Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the In For A Penny podcast. My name is Mark Shofferman and I am a freelance personal finance journalist. And I'm joined by my financial planner, friend Joshua Gessler. Hello everyone. Josh, as you may know, works for The Orchard Practice, which is Hertfordshire's finest financial advisory firm. Very kind of you to say so. Thank you. And I am a personal finance journalist who writes for various publications, and whoever will pay me, no, I do have some limits. So this is episode two in our six-part series on mortgages, isn't it? It is. If this is your first time listening, you might want to go back to episode one when we talk about the home buying process. Episode two is all about the mortgage process, I believe, Mark. Is that right? It is. Before we start, any reviews to read out? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. I've got one review here sitting in front of me. Okay. From somebody who uses the initials GKEFC1878. Now, I'm no detective. Yeah, you're a financial advisor. We've discussed that. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, I am. Um, but EFC 1878, I'm guessing, might be an Everton fan because I believe they were founded in 1878. That's good knowledge. What did... Uh, I can see this review's titled, This is Great. Yes. What do they say about us? They say, informative, light-hearted and perfect length for my commute into work. Easy listening, good banter and not overly technical. No, well done, gents, for creating this podcast and being so proactive. I would definitely recommend this to anyone who wants to improve their financial know-how. Thank you, GKEFC1878. That makes it all worthwhile. It does, doesn't it? If anyone else wants to leave a review, how do they do that? They can leave a review via the um, iTunes if they're listening on an Apple device. If you're listening on Android... Uh, work it out. Work it out, but you can do it on um, Podbean. has an app. Uh, also, just go on Twitter and you can just post us nice comments, maybe even abuse if, if you're... Well, no, not abuse. Just no. be nice. And I think in the show notes, don't you now have a link to how to leave a review? There is a link. Lovely. But, uh, yeah. If you, want, if you want to contact us on Twitter. Twitter. Hey, man. Twitter. Twitter. Hey, very American. Uh, in for a penny pod one. There's a place to go. Also, at Mark Schoffman and... At Josh Kessler. Yeah. So, the mortgage process. So, the previous episode, the first in the series... Uh, we talked about the home buying process and one of the things we mentioned was often to make an offer on a property you need to have a mortgage in place a decision in principle which we'll come to in a minute most people will need to purchase a property with a mortgage should we start with what a mortgage is let's do it so a mortgage very simply is a loan to help you purchase a property nothing more than that and this loan is secured on the property correct So when we say secured... So what that means is if you don't pay your mortgage, the person that's lent you the money, so the mortgage lender, has a right to take the property away from you. Sound very nice. No, it's not. So uh, mortgages aren't something to be entered into lightly. But we don't want to scare people. We want to make this a positive positive podcast. So would it be helpful if I tell you about the process we go through with clients when we're arranging a mortgage for them? Okay, shall I be a client? No, because the role play in the last episode was... Terrible. So let's so don't be a client, okay. Mr. Seller. I'll just ask you. Okay, you tell me, and I'll ask any questions that pop into my head okay, about yeah. mortgages. So the first thing we do is we have a meeting, an initial meeting 
with the clients. Okay. So they come into our office yeah. and we sit down with them and we ask them lots of questions about themselves. And we have a discussion about their income, their expenditure, um, how much money they have available to put towards this property, how much they would like to buy for, um, how long they think they're going to live in the property. Lots of different things to give us as much information as we can because we aim to make sure that when we apply for a mortgage for a client, we are 99% sure it's going to get approved. Why, why does your income matter? Because what you can borrow is based on what lenders call affordability. So income is a big part of that. Okay. And what, what does income mean? What's included in income? Income, uh, if you're employed, could be your salary. Yeah. If you are self-employed, it could be your net profit. If you're a company owner, it could be your salary and dividends or the profit of the business. Could be other things like your pension income, your investment income, your benefit income. So lots of different things could be potentially be included as income. Okay, so I've given you my salary. I earn, That's very kind of you. <laughs> my salary details. I earn, I don't know, as an example, £60,000 a year. Can I have my mortgage, please? You can. Not quite Not quite that simple, though. One, th- one other thing I forgot to mention that we asked for at this stage is a credit report. Okay, what's a credit report? A credit report is a report compiled by a credit referencing agency which details all your financial commitments or credit commitments and your conduct. So, for example, we have things on there if you already have a mortgage, which who the lender is, when the mortgage started, how much you borrowed, how much you owe, what your monthly payments are and whether you've paid it on time every month. It will have things on there if you have an agreement with someone like British Gas or Virgin Media, that could potentially be on there. Something else that's on there, which a lot of people don't realise, is um, even uh, even if you've got a mobile phone and you're buying the handset over, like, paying for the handset over a two-year period, for example, that appears on your credit report. So there's a lot of information about people on the credit reports that people aren't necessarily aware of. And so if you miss payments that goes on your credit report and also affects your credit score. Yeah, so the score for mortgage purposes is is sort of irrelevant. The key is the actual information in the report. So often we'll ask people for a report and they'll give us a score and say, my score is 950. That That's not what we want. We need the actual, the whole report, which gives you all the details because different lenders have different rules. So some say, if you have got any late payments or missed payments, you're not for us, we're going to decline your application. Some will say, if you have had more than a certain number of missed payments or late payments in a period, we'll consider you. If you've had any more, we'll decline you. So they've all got slightly different rules. So that's why we make sure we get that, as I said before, so we could be 99% sure the mortgage is going to be approved. The one that we favour the most is the Experian credit report. It just seems to be the easiest for us to uh, interpret and read quickly. You can download your own report, can't you? You don't just have to wait for a lender to see it. And often it's quite good to actually check it first. Yeah, you should, because a lot of people have things on their report they didn't even know about. So I've to give you an example, I've had a client who had a credit report. Their credit report showed that they had been in default on a uh, British gas contract. So I asked them about this because I, in the in the initial meeting, I had said, "Have you had any credit problems?" And they said, "No." And I said, "Well, what's this on your credit report?" And they said, I have absolutely no idea. It turned out it, w- it was some sort of error on their credit report that they'd moved out and the next people who moved in had had the credit in their name. So if that happened, you'd have to contact, I guess, the credit reference agency. So the first thing they did was they contacted British Gas. Okay. I said to them, it's best to get this removed from your report before we apply. So they contacted British Gas. 
Rishkash, who said, yes, this is an error. They said, we'll remove it from your report. But it took about seven weeks to get removed. Yeah. And then we were fine to apply for a mortgage. So how, how long did bad marks stay on your credit report? It's usually six years. So it's quite a long time. So obviously if there's a mistake, you don't want to have to wait for six years. You want to get that sorted. Correct. And we'll help people to try and remove these things. We're not uh, registered or regulated to actually deal with it ourselves, but we'll give them as much advice as we can to get it removed. Another example I had of a client was um, I said to them, have you got any credit problems? They said no. He provided his credit report. And I said, well, it says you've been bankrupt. Ah. He said, yeah, yeah, I've been bankrupt. I didn't think that, <laughs> that, that meant it was a credit problem. Ah. I said, yeah, that's that's uh, quite major. That makes it a lot harder. It, it, did make, it did make it a lot harder. But because we knew about it, we could find him a lender because there are some lenders who accept people who have been made bankrupt. Yeah. So when I first got a mortgage in around 2006, 2007, I just went into a bank, told them how much I earned, and weeks I had a mortgage which was probably worth 95% of a property. Okay. Is it as easy as that now? It can be as easy as that. If you are what what we would call a vanilla case, where, where everything is straightforward yeah then it can be as as simple as that since that period there's been obviously the the financial crisis and the lapse of so do you mean that what the credit crunch around 2008 seven eight yeah and also the uh mmr which stands for the the mortgage market review yeah so because a lot of around the time i'm not saying this is what i did but around the time people were before the crash and before banks like northern rock collapsed in 2007 people were self-certifying their mortgage their income so they're saying this is how much i earn mr bank and the bank often would just approve it, not do too many checks. Yeah, it's a strange one, that, wasn't it? Because yeah. I've only been advising on mortgages since 2011. I say only, that's eight years now. So since I've been doing it, these self-cert mortgages haven't existed. But it's weird that you could borrow hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds, without yeah. providing any evidence. I find that so strange. It is weird. But now there's stricter rules under the mortgage market review. So the bank, as you said, will look at all the... Well, I guess the advisor also has to look at the... Consider the ability. Criteria, criteria, but as part oh, of the application, there'll also be stress tests as well. Yeah. Tell me about those. So a stress test is where a lender says, okay, well, today the rate is 1.5%, and we're quite comfortable that you can afford that, Mr. Buyer, Mr. Borrower. Um, yeah. But, Mr. Borrower, we need to make sure that if interest rates go up, you're still going to be able to afford this mortgage. So a stress test is where they say, okay, well, let's look at it if rates were 4% are we comfortable that you could afford it? Or if rates were 7%, are we comfortable you could afford it? This is what I found a bit weird because I've had this when I've done a remortgage and the bank will do their stress tests and they'll say, oh, we don't think you could afford. Interest rates went up to, I don't know, 10% or whatever, which I think is quite, I don't know if that's I don't think a stress test is that high. Whatever the figure was seemed quite high given that interest rates, the Bank of England base rate currently is 0.75%. Reminding me. Um, so it seems to me strange, even if they're doing it up to, I don't know, 7%. Yeah, but you've got to think about it, that you're not borrowing, for, even though your deal may be a two-year deal, and we're going to talk about that in another episode, your mortgage might be for 25 years. So yes, rates are 0.75%, but it's quite possible that at some point in the next 25 years, your rates could be 10%, 15%. Is that going to happen? Who knows? So they do have to be sensible about this. Or should they be sensible in the rates they're assessing it by? 
Yeah. What? So you were? I think in the previous episode you were talking about decisions in principles and agreement in principles. Yes. Would it be helpful if we if I explain what that is? Yes, it would. So a decision or agreement in principle is the first part of the mortgage application process. So we've we've got together, we've got all your information. What we'll then do as mortgage advisors, which is a bit different to what a bank would do, we will then research the whole market to find you the best mortgage deal for your circumstances. If you go into a bank, let's say um, your Barclays customer, they will look at what deal Barclays have and whether you fit those or not. We'll look at Barclays and all the other lenders out there. And once we're sure that you meet their criteria, we'll then do this decision in principle. That is sort of half an application form where we put in all your key information that that you've given us. And then the lender will assess that and do their credit check on you. So that's when they go out to one of the credit referencing agencies, whether it's Experian, Equifax or one of the others, check the conduct of your credit and then come back and say, based on what you've told us, we are happy to offer you a mortgage in principle. Hence the in principle. Yes. So what does in principle mean? It just means in principle. (laughs) It means it means on what you've told us so far and on the credit check, we're comfortable. But that but that is not our final decision. That is not our full decision. Okay, so you you do that as the first part of the process and often you'll get a certificate to say um, you've been accepted in principle. So often that helps you if you want to go and start looking at properties and putting offers in. We mentioned in the... Well, interestingly, when clients say to us, can I have an agreement in principle to start looking at properties? We usually advise them against that. Because when you submit this decision in principle... More often than not, the lenders do a credit search, which leaves a hard footprint on your credit score. So there's two types of footprints, a soft footprint and a hard footprint. If a hard footprint is left on your credit report, that can impact your credit score and slightly lower your credit score. You don't want that. No, you don't want that because that helps determine what you can borrow. So we normally say to clients, we can do that for you with pleasure, but we would advise you wait until you've found a property so we can do it at that point. Because if it takes them six months to buy a property and every month they want to have one of these decision in principles, their credit score is going to be so low by the time they find the property, they might not even get a mortgage. Is it easy to still look at a property if you haven't got a mortgage in principle? Yeah, there's nothing to stop you looking at it. If agents are going to be difficult, then we'll give the decision in principle. And a lot of agents that know us are quite happy just to pick up the phone and say, this person has told me they're that you're their mortgage advisor, do you think they can afford this amount or that amount? And we'll give them a a yes or no. So we've submitted the decision in principle. That's been approved. Then we'll do what's called a full application. Okay. So that is missing in all, uh, filling in all the blanks that weren't asked in the decision in principle. So it might have asked us first time around what your income was. This time it's going to ask all about your employer. It might have asked you for the value of the property you're hoping to buy. Now it'll ask for all the details such as the address, uh, whether it's a house or a flat. So now you've got to sort of provide all the evidence. Well, hopefully, if it's one of our clients, the evidence would have been given at the initial meeting stage or, or between the initial meeting and the application. Uh, but you've got to give the evidence to the lender yeah. at that stage. They'll then do what they call underwriting. So they look at everything in detail. They look at the pay slips. They look at bank statements. They might look at uh, information from other third parties to, to make sure they are happy with everything. How often do you find that a decision in principle is reneged upon? Very, very rarely. 
because we've done all our homework up front, it's very rare that you get to that. We wouldn't submit it if we weren't pretty confident it was going to go through, so very rarely. But sometimes we do get clients coming in to say, I went into my bank, we'll, we'll use Barclays, but I'm not picking on them for any reason. Went into Barclays, they said I could borrow £250,000. They gave me a decision in principle, but when I submitted the application with them, they said I could only have 180000 Um Why that happens, it's another story. So the, the mortgage lender has underwritten the application. They've confirmed they're happy. But there's one other thing that they do, which we alluded to in the previous episode, which is evaluation. Okay. So you may say to them, right, we're going to buy a property for £300,000. They can't just take your word that this property is worth £300,000. You could be buying a shed. Probably in London, that's what a shed would cost. Yeah, I think you're right there. So they need to make sure the property is worth what you're saying it is or close to what you're saying it is. And how do they do that valuation? They send um, a, a chartered surveyor, an independent chartered surveyor to go and look at the this property. This is someone who works with the bank. Not normally. It's normally a, a third party so that they have a bit of protection there. You don't want someone who's just going to come and say, oh, no, your property's not worth that much. No, the bank might benefit from that. Well, the bank wouldn't benefit, really. The bank just the, the bank wants to lend you the money. They've just got to make sure that the property is worth what you're saying it is. So if for any reason you don't pay your mortgage, they can take ownership of the a property worth what they think it is. Yeah. So the surveyor, the valuer, yeah. comes around. Do they come into the property? What? How do they... Because a lot of people just, a lot of valuers will just do drive-by valuations. Yeah, it depends on the the lender, the whether it's a purchase or a remortgage, uh, the value of the property, the loan to value. So some lenders will do, as you said, drive-by valuations. That's not when they shoot someone. <laughs> they drive by and shoot the owner. Yeah. yeah, that's just where they. I don't even know whether they actually drive by because there's also what's something called a desktop valuation. So drive-by is supposed to mean that they've just been to the outside of your property yeah. to make sure it exists and it could be worth what you say it is. A desktop valuation is where they do it all on a computer. Not that they sit on their desk. Yeah. They use a desktop computer. Okay. Uh, as opposed to a laptop valuation, yeah. which is when they use their laptop. laptop. Yeah. Uh, and a, let's say, a physical valuation is where they actually go into the property. Touch it. Yeah, they touch the property. How often, how, what's the most? A physical proper valuation, yeah. What about for a remortgage when you're not buying, but you're, you're changing your mortgage? Depends on the lender. So I think it's Santander who are now doing a lot of desktop automatic valuations if it's within a certain range and a certain criteria. Do you ever find the valuation comes back different? Yeah. yeah. How it, different? On a purchase, it's rare because, as you have previously mentioned, a property is worth what someone's prepared, prepared to pay for it. So normally, if... Um, it's a purchase and a sale. They've agreed a price. The value says, yeah, well, that seems fair enough. Sometimes the value can, what we call, downvalue the property. And you said, I'm paying 300000 They say, well, it's only worth 250000 That doesn't mean you can't buy it, but it means the lending will be based on the 250000 rather than the three hundred. Okay. Um, very occasionally, a property is upvalued. Ah. So I had one last week where a client of mine is buying a rental property for 225000 and the valuer came back and said it's worth 415000 Wow. Which was a, it's a big, it's a big difference. And the guy, my client, knew he was getting a good deal on the property. He thinks the valuer is actually not worth that much, but that's what he's come and said. But the lender's done their research, done their assessments, and they're happy to still allow the purchase to go ahead. You get your valuation back. 
And assuming that's okay, the lender issues what's called a mortgage offer. Okay. That is a, not a legally binding offer because they can withdraw it, but it's a document that says we will lend you this amount of money to help you buy your property. Okay. And this stage, when you you get get your mortgage, mortgage. you you need need a solicitor to help with this aspect, don't you? You do. So the solicitor will help you have an account to receive the funds. Yeah, so it's the solicitors, upon completion, we spoke about in the previous episode, exchange and completion. Yes. So exchange, normally you'll send your deposit to your solicitor when you exchange contracts. And on completion, they'll get the rest of the money from the mortgage lender. So the lender sends it to the solicitor. The solicitor sends it to the seller's solicitor. And the seller's solicitor sends it to the seller's bank account. So you don't actually receive this money that you're borrowing. Yeah. It goes from the lender to the solicitor to the seller. So how long does, it, how long does that take? The legal process or the sending of the money? Sending the money. Well, normally it's same day. Most lenders charge £25 fee to do a same day transfer. It annoys me a bit of that because I can send money to someone's account with no uh, charge. Is, yeah. Yeah. But they all seem to do it. There must be a reason. So we're going to discuss fees in another Great. episode. Greed. Greed. We're going to discuss fees in another episode because obviously there's more costs to advisor fees product fees and yeah you'll be paying stamp duty yeah but that's for another episode okay uh yeah so one other thing we talk about once you've completed on your mortgage you'll normally get a letter from the lender within a couple of weeks telling you when your first payment's going to be oh yes how much your first payment's going to be and then from every other month when you're uh, how much and what your payments are the reason is the first payment's usually a little bit higher or a little bit lower depending on what day of the month you complete so often when you're making that first mortgage payment, a lot of banks or advisors will combine the mortgage fee, which I find a bit weird. I mean, maybe we'll talk what about you, this What do you mean? So if you pay a fee for your mortgage... You mean say, to an advisor or a broker? To an advisor yeah. or a broker. They'll say you can either pay your fee separately or have it as part of the repayments. That sounds like something we'll cover in the fees episode. Tune Good. in for that. Tune in for that. Another thing I think is quite interesting about when you're arranging your repayments is to make sure you time it with when your salary comes into your account so if you're paid your account regularly if you've got a regular date that your salary comes in from your job you want to make sure that comes in before your mortgage payment is due yeah, i'm not sure about that one because if you think about it the your job or your income in your accounts is an ongoing thing so if you get paid on let's say the last day of the month the 30th or the 31st yeah you'll say right well i want to pay my mortgage on the first of the month yeah if you get paid on the second of the month well, you could still get paid on. You could still pay your mortgage on the first of the month because it's just thirty days after that. But you've got all the other bills that come out. But you're still going to have to pay them, aren't you? Yeah, but if you're, all your other bills are timed, go out. If you are in the position where your current account is just about meeting your bills every month and your mortgage, you need to think about whether it's right for you to actually have a mortgage because you should have a little bit of savings behind you as an emergency fund. Yeah. If you are, and in that situation, I can understand why you might want your money, your mortgage to get paid after you get paid. Um, but I would hope that most sensible listeners will have a little bit of leeway in their account so that it doesn't really matter. I don't think that's true. I've had a few whiskeys. I'm going to push you on this. <laughs> Go <laughs> on. What are, you drinking, what are you drinking in this episode? No, it's still Ochentoshin. Oh, again, you're on the Ochentoshin. Yeah, I'm going to okay. think about, let me think about this. So if your salary, yeah, um, if your mortgage is due to go on the second of the month, yeah, and you're paid on the 
tenth of a month. Yeah. How do you cover that payment on the second of a month? But wouldn't you've got paid on the tenth a month before? So what happened then? Well, What's yeah, to all that money? All your other bills. Right. So if you got, so let's say it's the. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is only true if you're only using your current account to cover your bills, and then you'll put your savings in other places, which don't a lot of people do. Yeah, but you should have a little bit of a float in your current account. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I need a bit of a float in my current account. Yeah. Let's talk okay. about that off air. <laughs> <laughs> I think that covers most of the mortgage process. Lovely. Well, thank you to everyone for listening. If you do have any questions, feel free to get in contact. Mark at CavendishContent.com. Correct. And um, I am? You are Josh Gersler. I am, but what's my email address? <laughs> your email address is Joshua at TopFS.co.uk. Correct. Very good. And uh, you're on the Twitter. I am on the Twitter. At Josh Gersler, that's what I was trying to say. Correct. I'm at Mark Schoffman. Hi. The podcast has um, its own Twitter feed, which is in for a penny pod one. We're also on Instagram. Are we? For, yeah, for millennials and young I've heard people. of the Instagram. That's what the kids use these yeah, days. Are we on the Snapchat? Uh, no, because I haven't worked out how to use it. It's very flashy Snapchat. Are we on the Tinder? No, because that's a totally different type of app. Oh, okay. I don't know what you kids get up to nowadays. Yeah. Um, I think we should probably wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for being. And for a penny. <laughs>